Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 197. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Lilo and Stitch. I can't believe this movie is 20 years old. Same. For a movie that wasn't really a staple for me, I feel like Lilo and Stitch are so big in the parks to realize that they've been around for 20 years is kind of mind blowing. Yeah, and for those who are just catching up, we obviously had a lot of anniversaries that came within the last couple of weeks, and we're just starting to catch up with some of them now, just because we had such a big lead-in for Thor Love and Thunder, right? Um, and then Tron had a big anniversary. But, like, Tron feels every bit of 40, but I guess it's different because Tron came out before we were born, so I don't have, like, a basis of comparison because I remember when this film came out, what a phenomenon it was, and I think that's why it just still feels so fresh. Yeah. But... We are here to discuss it today. Like you said, not a staple for you, was not a staple for me. I actually didn't see it for many years after its theatrical release. But we are here to discuss a lot of things today. Why isn't it a staple? Has it grown on us? Has our opinion changed over the years? That is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms, ornaments, and personalized photo nightlights. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Hidden Mickey Supply Co. on Instagram and Etsy to stay up to date on all the new releases. The Galactic Federation has arrested Dr. Jumba Jukiba for illegal genetic experimentation after the creation of Experiment 626. 626 escapes captivity and crash lands in Hawaii, so the Federation sends Jumba and Pleakley to Earth to bring him back in exchange for Jumba's freedom. On Earth, we meet the rebellious six-year-old Lilo and her sister Nani, who is in over her head trying to control Lilo after the death of their parents. Disney movie. When the social worker Bubbles is unimpressed with Nani's skills as a guardian, he gives Nani three days to straighten out or Lilo will be taken away. When 626 gets hit by a truck, he is brought to an animal shelter where he is adopted by Lilo, who mistakenly thinks he is a dog. After Stitch causes trouble at the luau where Nani works, she gets fired, leaving her searching for a new job, all while Stitch pretends to be a dog to blend in and try to avoid being captured by Jumba and Pleakley. To impress Bubbles and make Stitch into a model citizen, Lilo encourages Stitch to be like Elvis Presley. But after an overly enthusiastic beach crowd swarms Stitch, he fights back and chaos ensues, so Nani's former co-worker takes them all surfing to make them feel better, which Stitch enjoys until Jumba drags them under the water, which Nani blames Stitch for. Because Stitch goes under with Lilo, and they think that Stitch is causing all of these problems. Bubbles, having seen the entire thing, tells Nani that he is returning the next day to take Lilo away. Because like most social workers that see a child in danger, they give you 24 hours. <laughs> that night, Lilo tells Stitch that her parents died in a car accident and gives Stitch the chance to leave 
and he actually takes it. Jumba and Pleakley are fired by the Federation, and Captain Gantu is sent to Earth to finish the mission. The next morning, David tells Nani that he found her a job, but they need to leave right now. So Nani leaves Lilo home alone. Stitch returns, but is pursued by Jumba and Pleakley, and during the attack, their house is destroyed. So Lilo calls Bubbles, who arrives and tries to take Lilo away, but she runs away instead. Stitch exposes his true self to Lilo, and Gantu arrives and captures them both. Stitch escapes captivity again, leaving Lilo stuck on Gantu's ship. Nani asks Jumba and Pleakley for help, and Stitch convinces them to help get Lilo back. They pursue Lilo on Gantu's ship. They eventually rescue Lilo. Stitch is absolved of his crimes, and the family is now under the protection of the Galactic Federation, much to the dismay of CIA agent Bubbles. Yeah. So, I think the most... Now, we're not going to make a lot of friends with this episode. I think the most exciting thing about this film for me is that it was primarily produced at the MGM Studios while it was still the MGM Studios. It was one of the last ones. Um, If not the last one. I've got to be honest with you. I'm burying the lead here, but I kind of feel that I have to in order to really have this conversation with you. Not really the way you want to go out. And I know that this film is such a, like, beloved film in the eyes of many, but I've just got to put this out there now. I don't at all understand why. I agree. It pains me to say this, especially because of the point you made about this being one of the last films that was animated here in Florida at MGM Studios. Uh, But really the animation is sort of what loses me out of the gate because to me it looks like a Disney afternoon cartoon and I don't mean that disrespectfully as a knock at the Disney afternoon I just mean for feature length animation there should be so much more depth right than there is yes because there is a certain standard that you hold theatrical releases to that you don't always hold the straight to VHS releases or the Disney afternoon releases these backgrounds look flat like there's usually so much depth and when you think about the world building here between the island of Hawaii and being in spacecrafts and outer space like you'd think there would be so much depth and detail in these backgrounds and at times it's almost non-existent it actually doesn't bother me so much with Hawaii because I feel like that was a stylistic choice to give it that sort of watercolor look. Um, So I'll give that a pass, even though I think you were remiss for not punching up Hawaii, being that this was the first film that was taking place there. Right. Um, It definitely bothers me with some of the spaceship scenes. I think that you missed an opportunity to do something really cool with with this big spaceship and especially such a large gathering in the beginning. Um, But for me, more than anything else, it's the characters themselves that are falling flat. And I feel like it's difficult because I don't want to attack one person 
But this does all sort of fall to the director, Chris Sanders, who is also the voice of Stitch. And I don't mean that in a way that is meant to place blame on him. But the reason that he got to direct this film was because... uh, he was a Disney animator for quite a while. He worked on films like, funnily enough, The Rescuers Down Under, which we just praised for those gorgeous uh, Australian scenes. Yeah. Um, he worked on Hercules. And at the time, Lilo and Stitch was coming off of a lot of other really big films. Um, so what they wanted to do was just get something else into production but not spend a lot of money on a budget. So they gave Chris Sanders a promotion and this was sort of his first time out doing anything like this and I hate to say it but I feel like it really shows. Yeah. Um let's talk about the introduction of of our one of our title characters, Stitch. Because you're right, we're on this ship, you have this large cast, this large gathering, you get introduced to Stitch. Frankly, I thought his introduction was actually quite strong. I thought it showed a lot of promise. I liked him as a reluctant hero type because, I'm not going to say, I mean, he is, he was genetically engineered to destroy things, right? So he's not going to be lovable out of the gate. Right. The problem is, and I will repeat this, and no, I am not sorry, he never really becomes that likable. That's just my opinion. I don't think this character ever becomes likable enough where you fall in love with him. And that's fine in the beginning when there's still mystery around him. So even upon the most recent rewatch, because it had been so long since we saw this, I was like, wow, no, his intro's really good. Maybe this movie's better than I'm giving it credit for, better than I remember it. I'm actually going to disagree because I do think that eventually Stitch sort of redeems himself, and we are going to get into that much later. What really loses me out of the gate, aside from the animation, uh, is is the story and just starting off with this trial. Um, I don't really care as much seeing Jumba having to answer for his crimes I would have much preferred if they started this in a lab and showed his experiment getting out of control and I think that would have made us a little bit more sympathetic towards Stitch to begin with instead of just meeting him when he's about to be punished Um, and the animation does sort of come into play here because all of these aliens look different it doesn't look like there are certain species like for example with a star wars or a guardians where you know that certain species come from certain planets right because they all are completely different character designs there is nothing that distinguishes stitch as a mutant and I feel like, again, that's where it would have been a little bit more effective to have seen him being built. Um, The other thing that really surprised me is that they didn't start us in Hawaii from Lilo's point of view and show that once Stitch arrives, her entire world gets turned on its head. Although maybe that was strategic because, as we learn, her and Nani are trying to cope with enough at the moment. 
I don't think it would have made a tremendous difference whether we started this in Hawaii or started it in space. I'll give it to you that for them to just jump into this trial, he's being punished for experiments and genetic mutation and, you know, whatever it was. I don't even care at this point what, what the exact language of it was. But it's like, why should I care? You know what I'm saying? Why should I care that he was doing it? Why should I care why he was doing it? Why should I care about any of this? It just seems like they jumped into a scene to jump out of it and get to Hawaii, but they also don't get to Hawaii fast enough to just get us into Hawaii. You see what I'm saying? They needed to world build a little bit more so that we could understand why Stitch is a mutant, why this is bad, why Joomba is getting punished. That's an interesting point that you bring up too, because I feel like there is such a weird time-space continuum here. I felt like we spent too much time in space before going to Hawaii. And at the same time, it feels rushed because there's like no passage of time between this trial and Joomba getting locked up. Yeah, not at all. There's not nearly enough of it. And and not enough for anything, but, like, I understand that the joke in the film is that Earth is being used to rebuild the mosquito population. That's funny. It is actually very funny. But they were just going to launch Stitch, I think they said to what, an abandoned asteroid or an abandoned meteor or some such nonsense. Why are they holding him captive on the ship then? Why not just send him off? Like, the, it would have served the movie better if they sent him off but shot him into the wrong place. This was actually something that I caught upon this viewing and certainly, I mean, maybe I, I, I caught it the first time I watched it and just didn't remember. They needed to hold him because um, they use his DNA to put in the, the lasers because it will only shoot at himself. It like they'd say some sort of line to cover it where the DNA the DNA recognizes itself. And that's sort of the brilliance of Stitch spitting because the lasers are firing away from him. It's still his DNA going somewhere, but it's not at him. Uh and that is what gives him a chance to escape. But the escape scene is really quick and then the next time we see the scientist, he's in a jail cell. I don't buy that the trial ended. All of these people have departed and you got him to jail in the amount of time it took Stitch to, to you know, spit a couple times. I mean, I don't know about the extraterrestrial ju- judicial system enough to, <laughs> like, comment on it, but it does seem rushed. I don't care because the movie's runtime is kind of reasonable. And let's be real. This movie's meant for kids. A seven-year-old does not know or care how long it takes Joomba to get to prison. Right. But... I do, though. But with everything else that's going on, you seem like it's rushed and yet it's not all at the same time, which to a lot of people is going to make no sense. But you got to go ahead and just watch the movie and you'll get where I'm going with that. Let's talk about once we get to Hawaii and the introduction of Lilo. I think her introduction is fine. I think it's all wrong. My problem is that she has this whole story about Pudge the Fish. We don't ever see Pudge the Fish. Uh, In the opening credits, I believe we do. 
Pudge the fish is not my problem, though. That's cute. And I like that they establish her as like a little weirdo up front. Um, and I think that's super endearing that she's so hung up on it's peanut butter and jelly day. I have to feed him. Um, what I don't buy. As cool as the hula dancing is and as much as I think that they got it not only culturally accurate, but the animation is so great. I don't buy that Lilo as a character is in sync with these other dancers. She's not supposed to fit in. She doesn't. They, they go through great lengths to show how much she doesn't fit in with her friends because she just attacks one of them. So how is it that you have enough uh, enough of a focus to pay attention and learn this dance? She bit the girl and then wanted to play with her. She bit the girl and called her a friend. My problem with Lilo from the jump and I'm not trying to minimize what she has gone through at the age of six. She is too off the rails and too undisciplined. I agree, and that's exactly my point. For somebody who's so unruly, how did you sit still long enough to learn this choreography? And, I mean, you could make the argument that this is their culture. It's something that everyone something that everyone learns to do at some point, but... We also don't know enough about her yet that she can't pay attention to anything, but she cares about her culture enough to learn how to hula dance. Because I practiced and I want to dance. That's because I practiced and I want to dance. I don't buy that she practiced. Or that she wants to dance. She doesn't say it with any conviction, but she just kind of repeats it a few times. I just, like, at times, the screenwriting is just weak. Right, because I will buy into the notion that she is so hung up on this fish because she is lost in her own world. So you see that she can has the capacity to care about something, but I don't buy it in the sense of she cares so much about a group activity and fitting in because she knows that she doesn't fit in. Yeah, and then tries to fit in after she bit the kid in the ground. Do, do you just see though where it's like this doesn't make sense i don't know i think that the outburst does i actually like it i think it's in character but i think the reason that i like it is because it is so realistic i could see a kid having a tantrum like that and if they have all these emotions bottled up just completely lashing out but I think that's why it's problematic when you're talking about it in context of a film. We don't know this character well enough yet to see to understand why she's so triggered. Right. All we know is that she literally cannot listen because the only adult in the room tells her sit here unattended. That's the other thing. The adults in this movie, other than Bubbles, are just like wildly inefficient at yes. doing anything. Yes. He says, stay here, small child who doesn't listen, unattended while your sister is on her way. Now, don't move. Well, she moves. And then Nani gets mad that she didn't listen, which all Lilo is good at at this point is not listening. That's not even my biggest issue with the scene. There is no way that Lilo, who is what? half a third her size beat her home this entire scene is a train wreck the only thing i like about it is that on lilo's walk home 
uh, she runs into the girls again and she's got this weird looking voodoo doll um, that she's made for herself with this crazy backstory that she's, oh, what is it? She's recovering from a surgery? It's something. Yeah. Um, and, and they don't want to play dolls with her. After after she makes like this half-assed apology for biting her, yeah, just yes. for the sake of being able to play dolls, uh, they they all run away while she's giving this convoluted backstory. But again, I I love that about her that she's so in her own world. She really believes this about her doll, who she abandons, and then I love that she goes back for her because no one gets left behind. Yeah, not even the doll. So. This entire scene with Nani and Lilo, I just don't buy this relationship. Mm -hmm. I understand that we're trying to connect with Nani in understanding that she is in over her head, but don't take this the wrong way. Their entire fight seems like staged reality television. It's over the top. It's hysterical and it's irrational. Out of nowhere. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's almost like you've done this before. Um, I I do want to unpack that. That is not even my biggest issue with the scene. This is this is like personal OCD. Um, if you know that you're having a visit from a social worker, how is your house a disaster like this? Actually, no. Because she's in over her head. Yes, we are establishing that, but a little bit of information would have gone a long way here. Yeah. We don't know exactly how long it's been since the parents' passing. I get the impression that it's kind of a recent thing. They do mention it later on, but it you know, it didn't happen last week where a social worker has to come and this is your first visit, but it feels like the first visit because How do you not know better to get your house together? Not to mention, aside from I don't believe that Lilo beat her back, she nailed the door shut. We haven't even unpacked that yet, that Nani can't even get into the house. Yeah, she accomplished an awful lot in a very short period of time, didn't she? Yeah. I mean, it's funny enough that she's going to such lengths to keep her sister away, but... It justifies logic that, I mean, they didn't even pass each other on the way to and from the house and to and from the school where she's learning how to dance. Exactly. Like, they didn't pass each other. And and I think that's where your issue is with this fight because there's so much that already doesn't make sense and we haven't done any world building in their home life other than that there's this time crunch with the social worker coming so obviously tensions are high but this is sort of like what I was talking about before is that you almost went for too much realism like when Lilo lashes out and bites her friend it's the same thing here you've got all these emotions so they just start fighting and screaming at each other and I think I I would agree with you that's why it feels like reality television because it just happens instantaneously Right. And and that works when you've been following a reality show and drama with characters that are building over a couple of episodes. It doesn't work in less than 10 minutes of screen time when we don't even know these characters yet. Correct. And then they rush into a 
I'm sorry, here's a piece of pizza scene. And there's this dialogue where Nani says to Lilo, who has admitted that she bit the other kid, she says they just don't know how to treat you. Well, let's see. She thinks a fish controls the weather. She practices voodoo in front of social workers, and she bites other kids. Of course they're going to treat you differently. Because Lilo's not doing anything to try and, like, blend in. This is the thing that you kind of, in most films, you always feel bad for this kind of character because all they want is to blend in. All they want is to have friends. All they want is to be normal. And usually, they are their own foil because they try too hard. They overcompensate. Lilo is so unapologetic about her actions that I don't buy her in that role. Right. And that's, again, where it would have been helpful to know how long it's been since the parents have passed. Because I don't know if this is her acting out, trying to deal with her emotions, or if she's always been like this. They don't do a good enough job of layering a character that's already an outsider trying to cope with trauma. Correct. Let's talk about the scene that follows where we get introduced to Stitch as a quote-unquote dog. Okay. Nani barely has it together. Thank you! And you thought a dog was going to be a viable solution? Apparently, but they have a dog door. They have a doggy door at the house, so we have to have a dog. Why, when Lilo clearly likes fish and thinks that they control the weather, didn't we go with a fish? And I realize that that just unravels the whole movie in one fell swoop, but like, You're I thinking too sensibly now. <laughs> I, I would have bought into this notion more had they said, all right, we're going to go get you a pet. We're going to go get you a pet goldfish or something that's easier to take care of. And then they go to the pet store and Lilo sees Stitch and falls in love with him. Right. Something. It's Easy just peasy. Like, it's just like she woke up one morning, this is Nani, and said, that dog door's useless. Let's go get one. You know what I'm saying? It, 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 none of this makes sense. And you have a social worker that's breathing down your neck. You don't have... No, they haven't gotten... She hasn't gotten fired from her job yet. But to the point you made earlier, she can't keep anything together. And now she's going to add another life into this equation. It just doesn't make sense. And what's even worse, we know that Stitch is not a dog because we know that Stitch is not a dog. The joke is supposed to be on the cast of characters in the film that don't realize he's not a dog. The problem is, they all call out the fact that he's not a dog. Right. Over and over and over again. This film could have been so much funnier if they never acknowledged it. Like with Ghostbusters, where the four of them are playing it straight while everyone else is acting like it's a horror film. Yeah. The the whole thing kind of unravels here. And then this creature that Nani is more or less freaked out by, knows is not a dog, she takes Lilo into town, leaves the six-year-old alone again with the new dog that's not really a dog and wonders why Child Protective Services does not trust her. 
seriously, I remember the night that we, the day that we brought Walt home, you had to go to work that night. And I was literally terrified of being there alone with him. Not of him, but he's my first dog. I had no idea what I was doing. And without you there, I was completely freaked out by it. And my parents were like, do you want us to come over? I was like, yes, please. Could you? <laughs> so how, again, how Nani thought that this was a good idea and that she'd be perfectly fine on her own is is beyond me. I mean, I get it. You've proven the point. She's completely out of her depth. Uh, but this takes it one step further. This is just irresponsible. Nani has been irresponsible the entire movie and will be the entire movie. This is the other thing. This is not the only time that we're going to point out that she's irresponsible. She continues to be, but we're supposed to feel bad for her because. I'm sorry, but you can't just, you can't just write the audience off as, hey, but you have to understand and feel bad for her because look at the situation she's in. No, she is the situation that has caused the situation. I think that's it because they don't show her trying to keep it together. It's just so evident she doesn't have it together. And that is why it is very hard for us to feel bad for her. Correct. Because again, buying a dog is a nice gesture, but it's not, it's not the gesture that she needs. She needed a clean house and, and a, prepared visit for this social worker not feeding lines to her sister to show that they're okay what works here is how stitch gets frustrated with the ruse because pleakley and jumba are following him around and we see that stitch is getting frustrated having to play fetch pretending to be a dog getting sniffed by other dogs. Um, the whole thing is very good, and I wish they would have dragged that out for a little bit longer, which is a great opportunity for them, or would have been a great opportunity for them, to keep the rest of the cast in the dark as to what it is that he truly is. I also would have preferred them spending more time with that kind of comedy than trying to shoehorn it in through the shelter worker who is literally the worst character, not just in this movie, but she is one of the worst characters that Disney has ever done. Because any time that Lilo tries to do something, she's like, no. Like, wouldn't you want the dog in the shelter that's been there for a long time that everybody else has walked past and now you have the opportunity to get it adopted? And she's like, oh, no, you don't want that one. Well, reasonable people, yes, but nobody in this <laughs> film is reasonable other than Bubbles. No. <laughs> and then they try to name... St Stitch isn't a good name for a dog. Who tells a child that? Let alone a child that's lost both of her parents. Like, it, whatever name... If she wants to name him Shmabubu, you should be like, that's great. What a perfect name. Humor the child. Yeah, but the, the person at the shelter is more responsible than her legal guardian <laughs> all at the same time. The other thing that loses me here as this starts to get played out, because now the movie kind of jumps into a weird fast forward. Mm -hmm. um, so the pacing is a little janky throughout the entire film because um, we we're we're rushing to get to Hawaii, but we're not. And then once we get there, we rush a little bit more. Um, Stitch, as 
he starts going through the motions as a dog. He recognizes how broken the family is. And he acknowledges how broken they are. And you can see that it starts to dawn on him that these are people in need. Lilo is a child in need. But he doesn't change. He's still selfish through most of this film. Right. You can't have a character so self-aware and not start to have a character arc the moment they start to realize what is happening around them. The other issue is that not only is Stitch not of this planet, but he's a mutant made in a lab. So what I don't buy is that how does he know that they're broken when he doesn't understand what the concept of family is? Because we don't get that from him until he reads the Ugly Duckling book. But even after he reads the Ugly Duckling book, he, it like it dawns on him, but he doesn't do anything about it. Right, but I'm saying that's also much later on. So right. how does he understand their situation and that Lilo is sad and that uh, I, I don't want to say that the family is broken, Although those are their words. Right. But how can he comprehend that when he doesn't understand what a family is in the first place? Correct. Now we go to the beach with David, who is the co-worker from the Luau, because now Lilo and Stitch have cost Nani her job at the Luau because Stitch is at the Luau with Lilo sitting at the table and causes a scene. So Nani gets fired. I want to unpack that just a tad. Okay. Again, Nani's irrational judgment. You had no problem leaving Lilo at home for clips at a time. Why wouldn't you leave her home, especially now that she's got a new dog, quote unquote, when you have to be at work, when clearly she shouldn't be there. Regardless, though, I will say the animation in this scene is some of the best in the whole film. I love the fire dancing. I think they captured the luau really well. Uh, and it was funny what they did with Jumba and Pleakley. It was. That was that was very funny. The animation's very good. And it introduces us to David. And we know that David wants to date uh, Nani because... Later on in the film, when he finds her a job and she goes, I don't know how to thank you. He goes, you could just date me. <laughs> David should be a more... Li Here's the thing. David's not dislikable. I buy him as being clumsy and saying awkward things. Because when we get introduced to him, he accidentally sets the stage on fire. Right. With the fire dancing. So he calls later on after Nani gets fired to check in on her. David's got a good heart. You you know that you can trust David. So when Lilo and Stitch cause more problems later on in the film at the beach and Nani can't find a job literally doing anything, he says, I'm going to make you feel better. We're going to go surfing. Right? Right. And Lilo falls off the board with Stitch. They get pulled under by Jumba. She comes up. Right? Mm-hmm. She didn't drown. She didn't need to be rescued. 
they pulled her up and out of the water. The person that was in the most peril was Stitch. Right. And Bubbles just happens to be there. And in all of the things that Nani has done up to this point in time, yeah. you have decided to take Lilo away because they went to the beach and she fell off a surfboard. The The whole thing just doesn't work for me. The drowning and the rescue seem completely unmotivated other than to give you that, no, I'm going to take her away tomorrow. At the same time, regardless of what the motivation was and that they weren't obviously trying to go after Lilo, Jumba was going after Stitch and Stitch got blamed for dragging her down. You just, even though you're not supposed to be at the beach, you said you were coming back the next day. We never agreed to like, you know, visit visitation and observation. You're just there on your day off. So technically... You shouldn't say boo about the situation, but you just witnessed Nani rescue her. So wouldn't you think that would be sort of a second chance for Nani to try and and pull it together that even though everything else is falling apart, she still loves her sister. She still was able to save her. That should have been a turning point for Nani. And instead she gets punished further. And then that evening... Nani doesn't have the heart to tell Lilo that she's getting taken away the next day. Um, and that's when Stitch, now they go off to bed, and Lilo gives Stitch the opportunity to leave. And he grabs the copy of The Ugly Duckling, and he actually leaves. But before that, though... She accuses Stitch of doing the exact same thing that she does as far as acting out. Funny, isn't it? This should have been two separate scenes. It should have been. This is the other thing. Because when Lilo argues with Stitch, they go from having a nice tender moment or having like a moment of normalcy to fighting. Right. To being normal again. Nothing builds to it. It just sort of happens. Right. And... She gives him the opportunity to leave. I have a lot of problems with this scene. Let me lay them out for you. She gives him the chance to go. He actually takes it. Now, at this point in time, on multiple occasions, they've already read The Ugly Duckling once before, and she explains to Stitch the story of The Ugly Duckling. So he already knows what the story is. He's already started to connect with the character of the Ugly Duckling. He has also seen how broken they are as a family. He has observed that Nani can't tell Lilo that she's getting taken away the next day. He bails. And Lilo says, I'll remember you. I always remember the people that leave. Your parents didn't leave. I mean, I, I get the symbolism. It's still a rough line coming it, out of the mouth of a six-year-old. Yeah, but here's the problem. This is my exact problem. I'm going to pin that. We're going to pin that for a second because we're going to keep walking with Stitch for a minute, okay? Stitch goes out into a field. He goes into a clearing. He's got the copy of The Ugly Duckling. He opens it up, and he, he opens up to the page where The Ugly Duckling is lost. 
and he just starts saying lost lost yeah over and over again here is the problem with this entire thing stitch is not lost stitch has been taken in by a family He's already seen the Ohana conversation because Nani wanted to get rid of him, and Lila was the one that says, Ohana means family and nobody gets left behind. On day one. On day one. He'll later repeat this to Nani. So he's already been present for that. He's been present for all of the other things. And in spite of his bad behavior, in spite of all the bad things that he does, Lilo is trying like hell to love him. She's trying like hell to make him a part of that family. You acknowledge that they need you. You recognize it. You're not the one that's lost. You even found yourself fitting in when they're all surfing. Yeah, exactly. In the scene prior, you finally found something to connect with them with. You have heard what Ohana means, but you felt it that day. So, working backwards from there... Stitch isn't likable. Nani's not likable. Frankly, I don't think Lilo's that likable either. David's kind of a Ted Mosby. And then Bubbles. <laughs> so, the problem at this point, we're supposed to be pulled at the heartstrings. This is supposed to be the moment that breaks your heart mm-hmm. because of that line that came out of Lilo's mouth. Because Stitch is sitting by himself saying lost because he feels like he's lost. He feels like he's abandoned. He didn't get thrown out. He wasn't abandoned. He left on his own accord. So what you did was you took unlikable characters because they're all unlikable and you just thrust them into a sad situation. You gave a sad backstory, which was the parents died on a wet road in a car accident and orphaned their two daughters. So, that's it. That's all we need. We're going to feel bad for these dislikable characters because we're just going to make the story around them so sad that you have to feel bad for them. And really, none of these characters are doing anything to navigate their way through it. No, you're hiding them. You are hiding dislikable characters behind a ba- behind a very sad backstory. I mean, the the only thing that I can think of, and they they needed more connective tissue, it, is to your point. Stitch has overheard that Nani is going to give Lilo up, so that's maybe where. He he should have figured, well, you know what? I'm not the family pet. I'm not this dog that they think I am. I mean, everybody knows it. But there needed to be some sort of realization, or, or not even realization, but there needed to be something that showed us Stitch figured, well, this family's going to split apart anyway. What am I sticking around for? And by saying that he's lost, it just becomes confusing because... The ugly duckling was found in the middle of the woods. So did you think that by going out on your own that you're just going to magically be found? You're leaving the thing that found you. Exactly. It, the whole thing is so disjointed. I, I can't even... I'm really trying to rationalize it, but they don't give us enough to go on at all. And 
it it's so disconnected. Like I can't even think of a better suggestion of how to fix it. Well, you could have fixed it by having Nani not abandon the six-year-old again because nobody learns anything. The next morning, 7.15 in the morning, mind you, Nani is downstairs. Lilo comes down. She tells Nani that Stitch has left. Nani is about to tell Lilo that she is being taken away by Bubbles. When it's 7.15 in the morning, out of nowhere, here comes David knocking on the door saying, I found you a job, but we have to leave now. And Nani leaves again. Seriously, what if Bubbles came while she was gone? That was going to be my point. Exactly. Now you, you missed your chance to say goodbye? Not only did you miss your chance to say goodbye... But it just proved how irresponsible you are again. No, and that was, you know, when Bubble tells Nani at first that he is going to take Lilo away, she goes, how can you do that when I'm the only one who understands her? That's rich. Yeah. This is just lather, rinse, repeat. And why does she need to leave in that very moment to go get this job? At a gross, at a, at a general store, like you need to leave right now. Why? Why do you need to leave right now? Well, you need to leave right now because we have to have an alien attack in the house. Right. We have to get her away from the house. Right. That's it. Because now Stitch comes back, and Stitch comes back because he's with Bleakly and Jumba, and the house gets destroyed. And she calls Bubbles. This is Lilo because Bubbles gave her a card at the beginning of the movie and says, "If you're ever left at home alone, call me." So she does. And then Nani is still fighting with Bubbles and goes, you can't do this, to your point. She goes, I'm the only one that understands it. And But he he finally, it's the one time in the movie where any character in the film calls out how absurd everything is because he goes, you think she needs this? The house is smoldering <laughs> and she's telling you aliens attacked it. it, it it's the lather, rinse, repeat. I have such a problem with this. No, and then you call out the aliens again. So you acknowledge them, but no one has ever blamed Lilo for any of this. Not not that the aliens are her fault, but no one has ever said, you know, Nani, she's got this wild imagination. She keeps blaming everything on the aliens and use that as a case to take her away either. I would have I would have bought into that much more. Right. So then when the aliens arrive, nobody really even kind of seems that surprised that they're there. No. I buy that out of Bubbles because Bubbles has interacted with them at Area 51 back in 72. But that's the most interesting backstory in this whole film. But like Nani is just kind of like, huh? That's she, she doesn't even really react that she is amongst extraterrestrials. And that really bothers me. I mean, I didn't need the big reaction of, oh my goodness, UFOs are for real and there's an alien invasion. But you could have at least acknowledged it with Stitch, where it's like, I knew you weren't really a dog. Yeah, instead she goes, you're one of them too? And then he does his, ohana means family. You know, like, he does, and, and, and from that point on, that's why, I honestly believe that's why people like this movie. I think they like this movie for the last 15 minutes of this movie Mm -hmm. because Ohana means family and 
the other two now are going to join forces. This is Pleakley and Jumba. They're going to join forces, and we're going to rescue Lilo, and he gets absolved. This is the other thing. It's like, it's not all that exciting, the rescue of Lilo. None of it is that exciting. It, it kind of just, they rush to it. They kind of just get it over with yeah. so that he can be absolved of his crimes and they can be protected by the Federation so that Bubbles can't take her away now. I mean, that's literally what I just explained to you is the last 15 minutes of this movie. I mean... And I didn't leave anything out. I would love to give this film credit for especially those last 15 minutes doing the best that they could with what they had to work with because, and this is not something new, you don't have to dig that deep into Disney research to know uh, that the ending of this film was changed because initially the plot called for hijacking a plane and yeah. this film uh it was after 9-11 so they realized obviously that they couldn't do that uh and i think that that was the best decision that they made in a whole line of really bad decisions with this film but that's my point exactly this the rest of this film has such a bad track record it didn't matter that they changed the whole ending because there, there's not enough to be like, well, the rest of the movie was great, but you know what? It gets a pass because they had to change the ending in the 11th hour. It, it, it didn't do anything to work for or against it. The weird thing is that they put the deleted scene of the hijacked plane up on Disney Plus as a special feature. That's just... It, the, the whole reason for changing it, you should have never let that see the light of day, ever. We shouldn't have seen Stitch's Great Escape ever see the light of day either. <laughs> and yet we did. You know what? In a whole series of unpopular opinions in this episode, I will say that as dumb as Stitch's Great Escape was, it was better than what preceded it because that was far too scary for kids. Oh, yeah. Extraterrestrial was horrifying. And at least this, at least Stitch's Great Escape was on brand. And it was never more than a five-minute wake so you could get into the air conditioning. But the ride was... It was awful. It was terrible. The whole thing was bad. Um, okay, so here's my other thing. Before we start breaking down characters here, I think the only character with an arc in this film is Stitch. The problem is that it comes so late in the movie that... I don't think it makes him any more likable. He's been so selfish this entire time in acknowledging how much they needed him. And he, in an indirect way, acknowledging how much he needed them. Yet he's still so selfish the entire time that when he finally does have an arc, it's too, for me, it's too late for him to change. And the other characters don't change at all. Right. They just figure out a way to live together. And really, that's to David's credit. It's to the credit of the Galactic Federation, <laughs> which is now just going to protect them. Right, because they rebuilt the house. A clean house, might I add. Um, I, I sort of agree with you as far as Stitch goes. I think that he does get redeemed, but I don't think it's a proper character arc because he doesn't have that moment of realization. Oh, he has it multiple times. He just ignores it. Because he does eventually change. 
he accepts the fact that he is a part of that Ohana. But maybe that's not really a character arc. I don't know. The other thing is that what do you what do you have to lose at that point? You're going to go back to this planet that made you and do what exactly? He's going into captivity. That's it. He's going to jail. So that's not a character arc. It's the grass is greener here and I'm going to ride it out. So literally no character in this film has an arc. No. Jumba maybe. Th- this uh I'll save it for my final review. Okay. But well, it it does kind of play into this stitch should have been the through line for everyone and he's not yeah he's not all right let's start talking about the cast here starting with stitch who is played by writer director chris sanders i think that when he gets fed up i think chris sanders is very funny i think the voice is very funny i believe that voice comes out of that creature but This is just not a likable character, folks. I'm sorry. I know that so many of you love him. He's the favorite of a lot of people. He's he's a tremendous meet and greet in the parks. I just, I don't get it. I just don't get it. I like Stitch better in the parks and as a meet and greet opportunity. Uh, And even as six to six day, when they did the prank with the toilet paper, I thought that was brilliant. I like what Stitch means in Walt Disney World more than I do what he means to his own movie. Um, I'll agree with you on the voice, though. I think it's definitely suited to the character really well. Um, but I think that Chris Sanders would have better spent his time focusing on just the one thing. Uh, and I don't mean that to sound too harsh, but this was your first time out as a writer-director. Every ounce of your attention should have been applied to that. Uh, really, the only reason that he did the voice of Stitch was because he started doing it as a placeholder just to you know, time out the duration of the film. Right. And because everyone just got so used to it, they were like, all right, well, you're Stitch now. Or maybe he, you know, it's his movie. He's directing it. He could have just said, all right, well, I'm going to do it. Um, but I I feel like that may have been a distraction in this case. And if that wasn't it, then uh, I, I don't know, because there is nothing cohesive about this film. Yeah. Uh, Devi Chase plays Lilo. Okay. For those that don't know, she also plays Samara in The Ring as in the girl that crawls out of your TV. So this girl has terrified me my whole life. Uh, But I do think that she did a very good job as Lilo. Yeah, I think she did a fine job. I don't think the character is that great, but I think that she did as good a job as she could with the character that was written on paper. Agreed. The one thing that we haven't really talked about, and... We will when we talk about the music, I'm sure. But it does apply to her character. I love the Elvis obsession. I love that when she's being overly dramatic, she's listening to Heartbreak Hotel. I like that when she starts figuring out her relationship with Stitch and she dresses him up, I think that that's hysterical. Uh, So I like that 
how they use the music as sort of symbolism. It is one thing that they managed to figure out and do well. Tia Carreri plays Nani. I like her more in True Lies and Wayne's World, clearly, than I liked her in this. But again, <laughs> it's not a shot at her. It's a shot at a very uh, dislikable and irresponsible character. Yeah, I, I think the voice acting is fine, but Nani is just too chaotic for me in a film where she should be what grounds everyone else. Right. Uh, David Ogden Steers plays Jumba. We've talked about him on the show before. You Cogsworth. know him as Cogsworth. And he was really good in this role, and I thought that he brought a... Uh, I think he brought a breath of fresh air when it came to comic relief when the movie needed it the most. I agree. I mean, he David Ogden Steers can do any accent, but I love how thick he laid it on here. Uh, I think it perfectly suited the character um that was a, a bright spot in this movie for me yeah uh kevin mcdonald plays pleakley a good foil to jumba again very funny comic relief the mosquito thing is hysterical to me i i love that it wasn't just a throwaway line in the beginning that earth was a habitat for mosquitoes but then we see that literally bite him in the butt yeah Ving Rhames plays Cobra Bubbles. Cobra Bubbles is the best character in the film. Hands down. I, I would have been perfectly fine with like a, a series of Disney Plus shorts with his backstory and see him fight, fighting the aliens back in the day um, or, or exploring the relationship that he has with um, the... With the Grand Council woman. Yes, the Grand Council woman. Um, Which is the character's name, by the way, Grand Council woman. <laughs> Another really well thought out one. Uh, yeah, there, there could have been more Cobra Bubbles. Yeah. Jason Scott Lee plays David. Uh, you can just date me, Kawina. Um, what, what do you want? He's he's a secondary character. He's a background character. I think he's a putz, um, but I think his heart's in the right place. He's That's absolutely a putz. You could just date me. I have nothing wow, else to say. Wow, be on. still my heart. That's your big move. That's you shooting your shot. Apparently. Putts. And it worked. Let's talk about the music here. She doesn't because... have that much else going for. <laughs> no, not really. Um, let's talk about the music. There's only one song that was written for the film. We'll talk about that in a second. Because I do want to uh, talk about what you mentioned, which is all of the Elvis Presley mu music. I love that they brought Elvis into this film because Elvis meant so much to the island of Hawaii um, that I think to pay tribute to him in this film was one of the most accurate things they could have done. I agree. I mean, if it wasn't going to be ukulele music, which again is a surprise because to pay for Elvis's catalog versus to have someone do composition on a ukulele you would have saved a ton of your already low budget but I guess I am pleasantly surprised by it because Elvis is so synonymous with Hawaii uh, and I love that they use that to key us in to Lilo's moods yes and the song that we did get for the film was Hawaiian Roller Coaster Ride which 
while, <clears throat> excuse me, while Bubbles is the best character in the film, this is probably the best thing that came out of this movie. Hands down. It's a bop. And the sequence is actually really great. Final thoughts on Lilo and Stitch. I'm going to go first. Uh, I, I understand why people like this film because I think they like it for the last 15 minutes. I think that people connect with Stitch because they think it's funny to see this reclusive, out-of-control alien that causes mischief, and there's nothing like it in Disney otherwise. But um, quite honestly, outside of all of that, um, I think this movie is wildly overrated. 20 years later, watching this film, uh, I still don't get the hype around it. I don't understand the obsession with it. I don't ups- understand the love affair with it. But at least I know the names of the characters. It's not like I called it Lilo and Stitch. Let's tell this story. So we went, we've been going to the Isla Mirada Brewery in Fort Pierce for Disney trivia. They do it once a month. It's a great time. If you have the opportunity to go, you should go. It's a great time for us because we keep winning. But... We were there a couple of weeks ago, and they were doing the trivia, and the host kept referring to her as Lilo. I mean, we, we've done this a couple of times now. The first time that we played, the host was great. He was so into it. He was, like, singing and dancing along. This host, not so much this last time. And it, it showed that he didn't really want to be there, but at the same time, like... Really, he had no knowledge of Disney, and you could tell. Obviously, there were there were more instances just than him calling her Lilo. But by the third or fourth time, there was an outcry yeah. from the crowd. It's Lilo. It was really funny. It was, and what was even more funny was how like annoyed he got over it that he couldn't pronounce the name right, and people called him on it. it I don't think people like sometimes understand, like. What happens when you run into a room full of Disney adults who have been drinking? (laughs) But also, just like, even if we hadn't been drinking, you know, Disney fans are very hardcore. So we don't appreciate that you're sitting here telling us because some of his answers were wrong. They were. And I'm not being like a sore loser. Some of them were just not right. And we were like, oh, do we say something? A lot of people said things. Um... (laughs) Nobody did need to be corrected. So it's it's like, you know, we're not going to argue with you on the answers. But in that case, he did need to be corrected. And it carried the same energy as Lilo bursting or, or lashing out in the hula scene. Yeah. Mel, maybe I'd like Lilo, the bootleg version of Lilo. <laughs> maybe there's something endearing there. But yeah, I mean, that's. Am I ever going to watch this movie again? Maybe in another five or six years when I decide to give it another shot. But quite honestly, at this point in time, I don't love it. I'm not ever going to love it. I don't, I certainly don't hate it, despite the fact that I tore it apart because I think the story and the screenwriting is just not all that great. Um, Because you basically took the concept that was E.T. and ruined it. Um, I think. That it's just a middle-of-the-road movie. I I don't... It's not great. It's not horrible. It's very much just middle-of-the-road, in my opinion. I think 
you really hit it on the head where you said that it's overrated. But I am going to disagree with you because I don't think it's a good film. I think that this is a series of scenes that are strung together and there's just no through line to make it a full cohesive story. Um, I appreciate what they tried to do with these characters, making them very realistic as far as their emotions go. But that's the thing. This is not reality television. It is a film and you have to do what makes sense for your story. And you just completely went against the grain in most cases. Um, you know, I, I do think that Stitch redeems himself as a character. Do I think that he redeems the film? No. I like him better as an entity in the parks and as a meet and greet opportunity than I than I do in his own movie. Um, would I watch it again? Yes. I don't even know that I would do it in like five years, though. This is this is one I kind of have to let this fade away for a little while and forget all the reasons that I don't like it. And and then, you know, we'll either see a rebirth of Stitch in the park or we'll go to Ohana or we'll get spat on at World of Disney. And I'll be like, oh, maybe we'll throw that on. Uh, but the rewatchability is really not there for me. We want to know what you have to say about Lilo and Stitch. Do you share our opinion i feel like most people don't if you do love it what is it that you love about the film we want to know twitter instagram and facebook at monoreal radio you can also email us monoreal radio at gmail.com and we really do want to know but i don't want to hear stitches cute like give me a substantial reason tell me what i am missing yes News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked, reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. Hi, this is Kelly from Carmen Kismet, your official monorail news sponsor, and I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. Don't forget, listeners of the show, get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout to see all of the services that Kelly has to offer and all of the work that she does. It's online at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. That's Karma, the letter N, KismetDesigns.com. Let's talk about uh, Bob Chapek. Let's not. He was on CNBC earlier today talking about the profitability quarter three for the ah, Walt Disney Ah, they let Company. him out in public again, did they? Well, they let him on CNBC. They let him on a third-rate business cable channel. So he went on there, and they were talking about now the stock has jumped up. It's still not what it was a year or two ago, but it's higher than it was last month. And... It's kind of an interesting conversation piece because they talked about prices. And we know that the prices are through the roof at the Disney parks and whether another price hike is coming. And basically what he said, and I am very much paraphrasing it, basically what he said is because of the reservation system, they have the power to kind of gauge the crowds and gauge the demand. And he said the demand right now is very high. We have the ability 
to act accordingly with the prices. Basically, the prices are going to go up while the demand is still there. The other thing that I found interesting was that he also acknowledged that if the demand wasn't quite there, they could adjust their strategy going in the other direction. So I kind of found it interesting that he acknowledged like, hey, while, while we can, we're going to clobber you over the head. But if the demand is not there, we'll be more reasonable with the price. Now, from a Disney fan perspective, who's not a fan of Bob Chapek, I want to rage. But when I put that aside and I put on my business hat, it's supply and demand. If the demand is high and you have an opportunity to cash in, professional sports teams do this all of the time. A ticket to a, a Yankee game or an Islander game, it's not the same price for every game. It used to if, be, but it's not anymore. If your team's hot and they're winning, the price is going to go up. If they're losing, they're going to beg you to fill seats. But it's not just that. They adjust ticket prices based on the opponent, the start time of the game, the day of the week. It used How to be. full the stadium is. So, I, I, from a business perspective... I can't get mad at Bob Chapek for doing the same thing that professional sports have been doing for the last decade. No, but I mean, congratulations, Bobby. You understand the basics of supply and demand. To your point, every business does it, but none of them have overtly come out and say, we're going to gouge while there's popularity. And then mm, if you don't show up, we'll lower the prices. Why didn't you... Give yourself a shot at redemption in the eyes of Disney fans and just say, mm, you know what? Next year, we're going to start dropping the prices down. Nobody would have known except for me because I can see and I've been saying this for a couple of weeks now that I have noticed the prices dropping. I booked Caribbean Beach for friends in, Mar in March, mind you, during spring break. And I noticed a significant difference in pricing and that it was lower. You could have just left it at that and people would have been very happy. But I found it interesting, though, that he acknowledged that the prices can go down and likely will go down at some point. Now, I wonder what that means for everything else. We talked about it on our last Dockside chat, right? Like, what's the incentive for, for people to stay on property? Because you don't have the buses going to and from the resorts from the ho from the uh, airport, and only the deluxe resorts right now are getting the true magic hours, the, the extra hour. No, it doesn't really do anything for anybody. Call it what it is. Um, you took away the free fast passes in exchange for the lightning lane, which I think they said more than half the people who are going there have used the lightning lane. That's the half... Those are the people that I'm sure are doing their once-in-a-lifetime trips, and you're cashing in on them. Um, do I agree with it? From a Disney fan perspective, no, because that, that was always a perk of being there, but it was always a part of the cost of being there. But from a business perspective, they're going to do what they're going to do. I just find it interesting that they acknowledge that the pricing is going to be fluid. But that's what I'm saying. Someone with more tact could have made it seem like after everything that you've taken away, you were doing us a favor. 
We want to know what you have to say about this revelation that the Disney <laughs> prices are going to fluctuate with supply and demand. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio, or you can email us, monorailradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Don't forget to follow us on that social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Monorail Radio. I already gave you the email address. You can also like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. And for links to everything related to the show, it is online at monorailradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monorail Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.